0: Hello, listeners, and welcome back to another episode of Equity Unpacked. I'm your host, Amy Reback, from the Workplace Financial Services team at Charles Schwab. On today's episode, our travels take us straight to the heart of the equity administrator's role, that complex intersection of HR, legal, tax, and accounting. Now, keep those in mind, because those themes will become a guide for our discussion later today. And, you know, that complexity is something we all love about the equity business, I mean, at least most of the time. But we don't always have a map that clearly indicates which direction we should go to get the decisions and provisions we need to move forward. I mean, for our listeners, how many times a day do you and your teams encounter an issue that requires a decision that involves your stakeholders? And how often are you 100% clear on exactly who you should consult? If you attended the 2022 NASPP conference last October, you may recall a packed breakout session that focused on exactly that who makes equity plan decisions. And in fact, the audience was so engaged with that subject matter and the amazing panelists, one third of that material was left untouched and it's fantastic stuff. So together we've planned a reprise and I'm so fortunate to have the same panel of exceptional and very well-known experts with me today to unpack the rest of the dilemma of who should make equity plan decisions. So without further ado, let's meet who we have on board today. First, the incredible Stacey Fox, equity administration lead at Confluence. The amazing Christine Zwerling, head of stock administration at Asana. Welcome back. Thank you. And the one and only Georgina Lai, who leads global equity programs at Alation. Now, ladies, we're thrilled to have you with us today, and welcome to the show. So what I'd like to do for our episode today is to have you provide a little bit more detail about your bio, because you're amazing. So just for street cred, you need no introduction on your own, but... Let's go through a little bit of that. And then when you're done, I'll ask each of you a question before we dig into the material. Is that OK? Yep. yep. All right, Stacy Fox, we'll start with you. All right,
1: I'm Stacey Fox. I work at Confluent. We went public in June of 2021. I was there uh, January 2021. Uh, we are in 26 countries. And it was my first company I took public, which was amazing. And uh, I've been in the business way too long. So I'll leave it there. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty amazing stuff of legends. That's what, That's what they say. Legends, yeah. Said. Best name ever, by the way. Thank you, Stacy
0: Fox. Thank you very much. I love it. Okay, my question for you is: Pay for performance. Yes. So not new, but more urgent, right? Than it was when you first initiated this panel back in October. Um, tell me a little bit about where do you think the majority of decisions for pay for performance live?
1: Yeah, I actually got scared out of my mind at NASPP um, because I learned a ton about it. And there was a lot of things, excuse me, that happened with the SEC right before the conference. So I went back to my company and freaked out first to legal because they were actually going to be drafting the proxy. And obviously they were going to need help, not with the narrative, but with the actual inputs. So then we partnered with our technical accounting team. And then we also had to partner with a provider outside of the company obviously for the, the calcs. so sure. it was definitely a uh, shared lift for the proxy and we filed our proxy last week so mm-hmm. we did it thank you very much but yeah it was it was a lot of people and a lot of effort yeah okay yeah awesome thank you
0: and christine's whirling
2: Hi. Um, so I, like Stacy, have been in this industry a really long time. It's I think it's over 25 years at this point. Um, I've worked at small companies, large companies, uh, private, public, everything in between. Um, and I'm currently the head of stock administration for Asana. And uh, we have, we're based here in San Francisco. We have a, um, just about 2,000 employees. We're in about a dozen countries. Um, they did a direct stock listing for their IPO event about two years ago. I've been here for about three years, and kind of here to take us to the, the next level and get everything streamlined. Three years or three months? Three months. Three three months. months. Thank you for feels that correction. Welcome. It feels like, like years. years, but <laughs> right. it is months. Right. <laughs> it is months. Yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> and my question for you is: When is it a good idea to make equity plan decisions on your own?
2: Never, <laughs> never. That is my <laughs> answer. But um, and we'll we'll dig into it more. But I think. As you alluded to in, in the introduction, this touches so many different, different people and areas. And what you do in one thing can drastically affect how it rolls out to other departments or teams or unintended consequences. So it's always a good idea to have your team with you when making decisions, big or small. Mm-hmm. So. Awesome. Thank you.
0: And Georgina Lai, we're here together on what is very likely your favorite day of the year. Birthdays and holidays notwithstanding. <laughs> May the fourth be with you. And also with you.
3: <laughs> um, hi, I'm Georgina Lai. I am a newbie at Alation, um, and we do data intelligence. And it's a really exciting area to be in. Um, so. I'm not going to share too much about Alation. We are a private company, Um, but my history with stock administration has been, you know, like Christine, small companies, large companies, uh, private and public, but I I do like the private companies and helping them transition to life as a public company. So that's kind of my sweet spot in the industry.
0: Yeah, IPOs are your jam. They are my jam. Totally your jam. (laughs) Um, Georgina is my equity oracle. Oh, okay. Usually the most... (laughs) enthusiastic person regardless of what is going on, (laughs) even when um, we've had professional relationships in the past and Mm -hmm. something happens and Georgina is like, you guys, we're going to do it. We're going to do it together. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Question for you. Mm -hmm. As we are starting to look in who should make these decisions on certain aspects of a plan, um, when you go with your stakeholders and you do the right thing and you ask them, what happens when they disagree?
3: That's a really tough one because, you know, the different departments often have their interests in play. They want certain things, you know, done specifically to make their lives easier. Um, You don't always get them to agree, but what I like to employ is kind of a, you know, a shared document where we list out the issues and then give everybody an opportunity to weigh in so that they can at least say, well, I disagree with this decision, blah, 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 but they feel secure in the fact that, well, I got my uh, objection out on paper, and everybody kind of reviews it, everybody signs off on it, saying, yes, we read it, and we understand, but this is a decision we're moving forward with. So that often helps kind of grease the wheels in kind of breaking stalemates and moving forward um, in a decision, and hopefully you're picking the right a person to help drive that decision. So for like an accounting issue, maybe talk to the technical accountant and not so much HR or legal, right? But you document it, allowing HR and legal to have their say, and then you move on. And that usually kind of helps people move forward. Document it. Document it. Document it. And it's also great because you keep it, and then, you know, um, if you have turnover in your company, as you know, you sometimes do, they'll go, who made this decision? What happened here? And it's like, I have this document. It's all right here. This is how we came to this decision. Mm -hmm. So it's a really great tool. Yeah, and then you can go back and see this is what you said. Yeah, so I was like, this is what you said, not me. You said this. (laughs) Fantastic. All
0: right. Well, welcome again, all of you, to the show. I'm so thrilled to have you here. Uh, We're ready to dig in. So we have walked through the queendom of equity, (laughs) and here they are. Um, We've got four topics that we mentioned before, legal, HR, tax, and accounting. And I'm going to start with accounting because you didn't quite get to that. You didn't have time. People were asking so many questions, and it was such a lively show uh, back in October. So let's start with accounting. Um, Who should make decisions on the best start date?
1: So from an accounting perspective, it usually is going to depend on what their philosophy is. So the vesting commencement date is whatever date it is, but it may be different than the grant date. And depending on the philosophy of the company, they may want to you know have the vesting start as the expense start as of the vest date. Or they might want the grant date. It kind of depends. And so obviously it's around partnering with the technical accounting team, understanding when we have those those breakdowns or discrepancies if the vest date is before the grant date, how they want that to appear on the books, and then work with the system of record to make that happen. So from my perspective, it's a matter of understanding the reporting and how your system of record works to get the right result, and then make sure that you know after weighing in a sandbox, etc., that it's the day that they want to see they tie it out. They approve of it, and then you move forward. So okay. that's my experience.
0: So what about accounting methodology, and how that relates to vest start date? One needs to be decided before the other, so there's some synchronization there, right?
1: Usually, it depends too. If, if the if the grant date is always going to be before the vesting commencement date, you're not going to have an issue. But for those you know scenarios where maybe someone was missed, you had a new hire that was hired in January and they didn't get a grant, and now it's May. The vesting is going to start back in January. It really is just partnering with those individuals and showing them how the system works when you toggle the switches, if you will, and then going forward from there. So it's going to depend almost case by case for those oddities, if you will. But hopefully, from the majority of the equity, there's not going to there's not going to be an issue with the accounting perspective because it's you know that's already been vetted. Mm-hmm. It really is the the one offs that are tricky. So yeah, yeah. But
2: to add on um, to that too is it is part of that partnering with your technical accounting team so they understand how your system's going to accrue that expense and not have it be a surprise to them when you do have that one off where the vest start date was before the grant date and they're they're trying to figure out why there's a true up and if it's you know for like legal purposes right the vest commencement date in the consent that approves the grant is this that sets the vesting schedule But if for accounting purposes, you need to change that to maybe the grant date in the system so the accounting comes out correctly, it's really understanding what everybody wants and how to document what you're doing so that if the auditors come back and they want to know why the VEST commencement date is different than what it is in the consent that was approved by the board, they understand what that is and... and any downstream impacts.
1: Yep, yeah, yeah. you bring up a good point. And in fact, on those oddities, you know, our general counsel actually reviews the resolutions and really points at the oddities and wants to understand why it is this way, why are we having this one-off, and, and making sure it doesn't happen in the future. So it, it hopefully gets you to more consistency going forward based on that, too. So Simple stuff. Yeah, it's Super easy. Super simple stuff.
0: <laughs> <laughs> OK, SOX
1: controls.
0: Tell and me about that. In,
1: yes. Or just in general?
0: Well, wow. <laughs> I mean that's a whole three hours in its own. Yeah. So specific. Let's talk specific to accounting.
1: With socks, I mean it really is somewhat of a benefit because it lays the structure down to get around these oddities, if you will. Um, but let's say you have a situation where there's a vesting schedule that's going to be for like a new, you know, SVP. Um, socks usually is a little bit, you know, it's not too structured to disallow those types of things, but you have to be prepared for the auditors when they do come and, and want to understand why is this this way. So I really do rely on SOcks to potentially even get things to go in a different momentum, more consistency, if you will, uh, and use that as almost a crutch to say, look, if you don't want to have PWC coming at you, why don't we think about it this way or you know why, why do we have to go through so much you know, rig and roll, if you will, just to accommodate this one um, grant? And if they give a good you know, defense, then maybe you know, PwC's gonna be fine with it. But sometimes it is you know, a problem. So I always bring up SOCs. And usually it's technical accounting that's uh, using, using the SOCs perspective to maybe sway HR away from these uh, one-offs, if you will. But yeah, we, we use it in defense of making sure that things are a little bit more consistent and not having uh, the one-offs that are painful.
3: And I think the strategy there would also be because you have socks, right? Everybody you say socks and everybody's like, oh no, not socks. So right. it's a really kind of great thing to leverage, but also, you know, alerting your technical accounting team that they can run it up the finance side. So it's not just stock admin going, stop doing these weird things to HR. So now you got stock admin and the finance org kind of helping kind of sway the decision making to make sure that you have consistency in your program. Right.
0: And nobody wants to mess that up.
3: No, you don't want to be on the wrong
0: side of that situation.
3: Mm-mm.
0: No. Um, tell me about. Particularly interested in this one. Changes to service providers. Not
3: mm-hmm.
0: self-serving, Georgina.
1: <laughs> but I'm. This is a hot
0: topic. This is a hot topic.
1: I mean, I haven't lived it for some time, but just going from uh, IPO, you know, p- private to public. We moved from one provider to another, but they are under the same umbrella, so it wasn't too painful. But um, the the under one umbrella was soon after an acquisition, and so it felt that it was almost on our shoulders to make it work. We Mm -hmm. weren't going to be able to have the provider help us. Um, So it was a little bit tricky changing providers in that realm to make sure that we are prepared for our IPO, um, where we had to do the grunt work. We really couldn't leverage um, the... The provider, if you will, the broker, if you will, to make it happen for us. So uh, the good news is we knew what we were doing. Uh, I have people on my team that worked at this particular provider before. So, um, but we had to do all of the the legwork. Um, Mm -hmm. So it wasn't that fun, Uh, but we got it done and we had to, back to accounting, tie to the penny because we're dealing with accountants that were in a private, you know, pre-IPO, if you will, and that's what they were used to. And we made it happen, but it was Tedious, mm-hmm. I'll just leave it there. But accounting really was the most painful part of, of moving from one uh, platform, of you will, to another. Everything else was not that bad. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's you know, it's simple math. Yeah. Right. But right, accounting is different.
2: To yeah. add on to that, I also did a migration um, from uh, one provider to another as a public company. And on the accounting side, it it was complicated. Um, The particular provider I went with had an accounting team for us to help us through that. But there's always differences in all the systems and how they account Mm -hmm. for equity. So um, at the end of the day, what we had to do is do all of our audits with the accounting team to show the before and after, and then um, to show this is what the differences are and this is where they're coming from, kind of put that stake in the ground, they take a one-time charge. But getting the accounting team, if they've not gone through a conversion, to understand this is what that charge is and this is how it's calculated, this is why we do the one-time charge and drew it up, and then we move forward under the new system, um, can be a little challenging. But that's definitely, Mm -hmm. we we ran into that also, um, of just the very tedious to the share, to the penny of tying everything out to prove that what was in one system is now in the other system. Um, and even the even the mistakes that we found, as I'm sure you found right. that too, when you're converting, you're like, "Oh, that was That's not wrong. supposed to be that right way." Now. But you have to show those too, and what what you did to fix it. So um, definitely a very interesting hmm. migration.
3: Yeah, changing uh, providers is never just on the stock administrator's shoulders, right? You do have a number of stakeholders, and accounting is such, I think, a critical piece in. Uh, converting to a different platform because, I mean, they rely on the reporting of your system to, you know, right. Do all the stuff that they have to do. So, um, you know, aside from you know HR, I'm sure has a stake. They want to make sure that you know employees are happy with a switch. Um, you know, legal not so much unless you report into legal, I would say. But yeah, accounting is such a huge part in that decision making process. So really make sure that they have a seat at the table, and get them familiar with uh,
2: the the reporting uh, for financial reporting
3: right yeah that's really leave. crucial
2: mm-hmm. exactly okay. in the the vein of who makes the decision yeah we also um, decided to actually outsource our accounting to a third party mm-hmm. uh, because our accounting was just very complicated with a lot of acquisitions and just getting that all mm-hmm. into one of the off-the-shelf systems they're not they're they will usually cover like 80% of it but it's that extra 20% that's done in a spreadsheet that just has room for error with socks with all of that so right. um, we we Worked with the accounting team to do we want to go to a third party that's going to be able to handle 100% of this? And, you know, but it was a decision for, with, you know, together. It wasn't right. just stock admins saying, oh, well, it's too hard. Let's, you know, let's do this. It was, right. do you guys, you know, want to do this, take this on? And it's going to be a lot of work on you mm-hmm. because you're going to have to retie out the numbers from one system to the other, understand how the new system works. Uh, but it was definitely a it was not, not me making the decision, right. but helping to guide, to, to make things more efficient.
0: Whew. I won't bring up what if the decimal points are different. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> they get there. Yeah, they, they Eventually, we, we can get there, but that's a painful point. Um, let's move on to some tax decisions, and then we'll come back to a couple of things in accounting. So on tax mobile employees the oh, hot mobile? potato
2: that is my favorite <laughs> <You're lying. laughs> it is i did try to you know imp- implement a policy that if you move from tax jurisdiction to a different jurisdiction you just get fired um, <laughs> yeah, you're so out. that fixes the problem done. right Forfeit there yep yep you still it you're done um nobody <laughs> nobody agreed with me on that one um, but it um it is something that especially as companies grow and you, you see when you're, you know, a smaller private mm-hmm. company versus, a you know, a larger multinational company, people start moving around. Um, and the ability to track, one, who's moving and where they're moving and are we doing this for just, you know, people that move or is it travelers, all of that, there can be such big consequences for all of that. It's not on the stock administrator to make the decision, do we do that or not?
1: Right. Um,
2: and then around that, there's also... You know, each country's tax system is very different, as we know, um, and it's coming up with the policies around, you know, can we 100% follow what their tax rule is if we can't? Where can we get and why and who's going to make that decision that this is what we do? What are the consequences? Mm -hmm. Is it, you know, some consequences if you don't follow it 100%, you can't do business in that country anymore Mm -hmm. if you get caught. Others, it's like a slap on the wrist or they're not going to ever catch it. You know, so it's that type of thing. But that's not on me to make that decision. That is on, um, I usually will loop in the head of tax um, to make those decisions, um, but also including our payroll team because they're the ones who are processing it And tax might say, yes, we wanna do this 100%, but when you get to payroll, who's actually pushing it through the system, you find that you can't report a different reportable versus taxable income. So we can't actually comply because it's not gonna work. Mm -hmm. Um, So what I do is get everybody in a room with an outside provider, and we go through each country and make the decisions. And I have sometimes, a lot of times, um, VPs of tax or head of tax, I don't know if you found this, They are corporate tax and they don't, they don't think that they are payroll tax and they don't wanna own that piece. Mm-hmm. But um, I'm very good at, you know, taxes in your name so that you, this is your decision and okay. I will help guide you and we'll provide you the experts to do that. But at the end of the day, this is tax policy and that is in your, your jurisdiction. And yeah. um, I've gotten to the point with some, not at Asana, um, <laughs> where I have sent an email and said, here are the decisions that we are gonna make Please let me know by Friday if you agree. If you don't respond, I'll assume you agree. And that gets responses. Mm -hmm. So, um, but it is definitely, that's one of those, we don't make the decision. It needs to be somebody with an expertise in that particular field. Yeah. Um,
3: I will also say, though, to your point about corporate tax, you know, it's some, you know, uh, VPs of tax are sort of like, whoa, 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 to your point, this is, you know, this is payroll tax. Mm-hmm. I I deal with the corporate side. So I, I do think you kind of present it in such a way to help them kind of see their ownership in this as sort of like, well, yeah, from the corporate side, how will this affect you? Um, sure. You know, what taxes we're withholding? You might have some sort of social match or something like that or a deduction that you can take. So how would you like to see this? How What strategy are we using here to... Kind of help build our mobility um, policy here at our company. So mm-hmm. make sure that they, you know, have a stake in, in the decision making. Mm-hmm. How quickly do they come around
0: to
1: like? Okay. Well, I you guess have I to you have this. to be firm and say we have to protect the company from risk. Mm-hmm. So are you in or are you out?
3: Mm-hmm. It isn't a
1: matter of like sitting on it and not making a decision. It's like we right. are going to get audited if we don't make the right choices here. So that usually also forces the hand to mm-hmm. say, oh gosh, yeah, we don't want to get audited. So.
3: Yeah. yeah. Or a, a financial exposure, right? right? It's sort of like, we can be fined. This is a potential right. fine we're facing here. And sometimes that helps,
2: you know, speed the decision making up. Sure, a lot. sure. Yeah. Nothing like a fine. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Right. Or a threat of awesome. audit. And mm-hmm. also throwing it back to them with, like, well, if not you making the decision, who should make the decision? Right. Mm, you too. Not me. Yeah. Well, the other
3: thing is, uh, I've worked at a, a few companies where it was sort of like, do you want to be in the local newspaper for not paying taxes or oh. avoiding taxes? And that really also gets the ball rolling, right? They, they don't want to risk that kind of headline of, you know, X company refuses to pay taxes in this jurisdiction.
2: Sure. So that also sure. kind of
3: helps. No, no, one, no one wants that. Yeah. <laughs> no
2: one <laughs> wants that. And I usually sometimes also will tell horror stories of when taxes have gone wrong because we've been doing this long enough. We've all had that experience where in one country we just weren't doing it right mm-hmm. and it can be expensive. And embarrassing, depending on, you know, what the error is. And, mm-hmm. you know, the employees can be mad. So, um, and that's just, you know, an example of why you need to do it right. That's a perfect segue onto withholding issues.
0: So, violations. Let's talk about that. Oh,
1: I've had that.
0: International <laughs> locations. I mean, this is... A, this is
2: I had and it's a, ever-changing, changing, yes. right? I had, I had a big one of those oh, a few years ago. Do tell. At a, <laughs> I know, I might, can't talk too much. Not in the sauna. <laughs> but um, we had a particular country that we thought we, it, it was France, we thought we okay. had qualified awards. Mm. Um, turned out we did not. Um, and so we, um, you know, marching along, happily processing our transactions. We were withholding some tax. Um, but not enough. Mm-hmm. And then by the time we would do an annual review with our tax provider for you know like what rules have changed or whatever, and they happen to casually say, oh, but you're doing X, Y, Z for France. And I was like, oh. Oh, mm-hmm. no. <laughs> so, <laughs> SACRE bleu! Exactly. Yeah. 100%. <laughs> um, and they said, no problem. We'll help you calculate what the difference is. You will just go back to the employees right. and, you know, see if they have the shares and you can sell them. Oh. Well, our stock had gone from about 400 to around $100 a share. Mm. And so, I was, oh. it, it, yeah, so we couldn't just sell additional shares. They would, they would sell all of their shares plus oh. they'd still owe more. So right. it was really, I had to reach out to, you know, the head of tax, the corporate controller, the general counsel, everybody who touched this to mm-hmm. explain what happened. How it was never going to happen again how we were going to fix it and you know what were the different fixes and also you know looping the employees in and how we were going to explain it to the employees and not you know as we all know when the stock tanked at your companies they were not happy anyway so now you're explaining to them that they have this tax bill right. and how are you going to fix it what's the right thing to do by employees and all of that but again that was none of that was my decision it was really coordinating between the parties of where do we stand how do we want to treat the employees what do we want to do it was looping in the comp team because this is affecting mm-hmm. their compensation and it was really just that keeping everybody in and coming up with what do we think is the right thing to do for employees and then making sure each person that had a stake in that signed off on their piece of it you know for corporate controller If we're going to need to spend money on this, the tax teams, you know, we're going to need to, you know, update things or we have things that we know are not compliant for HR and comp. You know, Mm -hmm. this is going to affect their compensation, all of that. Wow. Here's a
3: hint. Uh oh. A decision doc would be perfect <laughs> in this scenario. <laughs> we'll documented. it. Get everybody to kind of weigh in on what their viewpoint is, so they can feel heard, and everybody signs off on it, and you there know you how you moved forward in case you're audited. Like yeah. this is what we did. This is the advice we got. So yeah. Okay.
2: Yeah. Excellent. I, I should yeah. have
0: done that. <laughs> uh, tell me about qualified versus non-qualified plan issue. Tracking, reporting dispositions. For ESPP or for options? Mm, Well, I I mean, options for 400, Mm -hmm. I don't know. Uh, Which is more interesting. uh,
1: Well, for qualified programs like instead of stock options, it's usually more of a private held thing, company thing. And the education on those is just really difficult. I'm way more non-qualified stock options versus qualified stock options. But ESPP, I'm the reverse qualified ESPP. So I think it just kind of depends. But on those decisions, um, especially moving from a public to, I mean, private to a public, just moving from ISOs to RSUs, which definitely are taxed right away, was huge and wonderful. Um, So I think it just kind of depends on the company and and what they're going for. Um, I've heard of great... Uh, dis- or non-qualified ESPP programs that are way beneficial, you know, like forty percent match from employer, uh, which I just heard <coughs> from a different conference, uh, and I was like, "What?" Uh, so I think it just kind of <laughs> depends, and if you can actually roll it out, if the if the uh, employer can you know afford it, so. Um, but yeah, ISOs no. <laughs> From my perspective, <laughs> yeah. they're just difficult to explain. Employees don't really understand the you know what they have to do to qualify, and um, reporting is also challenging. Like if they move, employees you know terminate. It's like did they did they sell the shares? Did they not sell the shares? So yeah, um, it just kind of depends for me. What about you? Yeah.
2: Well, and looking at that, um, it's also, it's working very closely with the comp team because at the end of the day, it's their decision. And I always make it very clear when I'm working with a new comp person, these are your programs. I'm just administering it. Think of me as payroll, right? (laughs) Payroll is not making the decisions on what kind of compensation programs you have. They're administering it. I'm doing the same. Yes, our programs are more complicated, and Mm -hmm. I may know more or know different (laughs) things that we can do with it, but at the end of the day, it's going to be your program, so what do you want to do with it? What's the benefit? But a lot of it, again, it's so complicated. We are usually the only experts in equity compensation in our company, so it's helping them understand you know, here are the here are the options, here's what I see, here's what our competitors do, or our peer group, right? I always tell, um, when I talk to stock administrators, find out who your peer group is and find out what they do, because that's what your comp team's gonna wanna know. And they're the ones at the end of the day that make the decision. We did a, we just changed our ESPP plan. We have a great Cadillac ESPP plan, but when it was implemented, it was kind of one of those. At the time of the the, the IPO, they wanted to do. Um, they wanted to have more like employee ownership, so they put a one-year hold on it. Oh. So we had this great two-year offering period with the look back and the fifteen percent discount, but then you had this hold. So. The, we didn't have as much enrollment because people were like, well, I can't take that risk. It's expensive, especially if they're outside the U.S. and it doesn't have a tax benefit. So that was then me working with the you know the comp team and the accounting team, too, because it's going to affect your expense mm-hmm. because you're going to have more people enroll. Expense is going to go up. Um, but at the end of the day, it was the comp team, and they're the ones that are going to move it forward with the comp committee and the board to get that approved to make those changes. But um, it's definitely, I think we can have input into it, but at right. the end of the day, the comp team is the one making the decision on what type of program, and which I think it's interesting for you because you work at a lot of smaller companies Mm -hmm. that are, um, you know, maybe you only have one comp person and they're doing everything and to expect them to also be an equity compensation expert to know these are the right programs, that must be a challenge for you too. So how do you make those decisions?
3: Um, I really like to use that opportunity to kind of flex my stock (laughs) admin muscles and just kind of like, you know, like put my two cents in, right? How, you know, I partner with a comp manager or the director of comp and say, yeah. hey, have you thought of this? Wouldn't this be really interesting if we tried something like this? Or maybe instead of your traditional qualified plan, let's kind of think more globally and kind of do a right. non-qualified plan so that everybody's kind of even-steven as far as benefit. So um, that's when kind of where I like to partner often with um, the comm team and try to influence as much as I can to see Mm -hmm. a program that I would like to see as an employee of the company. But also from the administration side, right? We don't want to kind of overcomplicate and make our lives really hard. And then by extension, the accounting team and whatnot. Um, And then also, though, an interesting thing, though, with a qualified, non-qualified, like an ESPP, the other thing I want to just check in in is whether or not the tax team. Since I do work at, you know, smaller companies, have you guys had experience with this? Because sometimes they haven't. And it's sort of like, oh, no. And it's like, well, you know, you might want to start reading up on it. You might want to start ramping up on this because this might be possible in the future. Mm-hmm. So it's also sort of, you know, get, make sure that they have a seat at the table to weigh in. Sure. Because can they actually, you know, take a deduction? Or can they actually administer their side of the tax uh, obligation yeah. for your program? Yeah. yeah. Does legal
0: weigh in on any of those when it comes to comp? They must at some point I and mean, they're
1: usually there at the table too, but they might not have the, the understanding of what they're hearing mm-hmm. or the ramifications if the stock price goes down and now espP's mm-hmm. not really that sexy any longer it's like mm-hmm. well now we have to go to the shareholders who want to change the espP you know they didn't they didn't think that through two years ago so yeah I mean legal's usually there they're at the comp committee meetings as well but you know do they really understand the ramifications of what they're Providing to the comp committee before you go public and then now with the stock price being low, now everybody would do now is right. not even popular any longer. It's like, what are you gonna do?
2: Right. Yeah. I think it depends on the company too. I I at this company and my prior company, I actually reported up through legal. And I found that the corporate legal team did take a a big stand in the programs, not necessarily the decision making around it, but making sure that we had everything documented properly mm-hmm. and was, you know, presented to the board properly and that they understood how it was gonna roll out when right. when it actually happened. Um, so maybe not necessarily as one of the decision makers, but mm-hmm. usually they have a seat at the table because some things that you do with your programs, you have to have approved by shareholders or you have to disclose in your 10K mm-hmm. or you know publish a copy of the agreement, that type mm-hmm. of thing. But other things, you don't, and they're really the only ones that have that expertise in, you know, oh, did we change our grant agreement? Right, That yeah, we need right. to re, you know, we need to publish that again. Or, you know, no, we don't need to publish anything, but that's the worst is to like, oh, we've been using this grant agreement for the last two years. Oh, we never published it. That's oh. Great, mm-hmm. that's a problem. Awesome. Then, then, then they have to, we punt that over the wall to them and they have to fix it. <laughs> well, that's
0: all the time that we have together today, but we will have part two of this episode. So for more information or details on part one, please visit schwab.com forward slash equity unpacked or connect with myself and today's guests on LinkedIn. And of course, subscribe to Equity Unpacked and receive alerts when new episodes drop. Thanks again for joining us today on another equity journey. And as always, safe travels, everyone.
2: For important disclosures, see the show notes or visit schwab.com slash equity unpacked.